0: And welcome to this week's uh, A Photographic Life. I was asked um, a short while ago to put together two talks um, focusing primarily on portrait photography. And um, the brief was as open as that. And it it made me kind of take a moment to to think about exactly where we are with portrait photography. and, And I suppose in a way where I am with portrait photography. And what I decided to do was to sort of break those two talks into two specific areas. One uh, with portraiture created within a studio space, within a confined space, and the other um, portrait photography created in the environment, um, within a location of some kind. Uh, Very broad. But then having sort of made that decision, I thought, well, maybe what I need to do is go back and, and to just kind of see where portrait photography um, in my mind came from and just to see if I can trace some themes that come from, came through that, that kind of observation of work. So I started, decided to start off with Nadir at the beginning of the last century, a photographer that you may or may not be aware of, um, but whom somebody who Paolo Reversi spoke about in a previous podcast. Nadir was very much seen as the, the kind of, I suppose, the first of the celebrity portrait photographers, taking portrait photography out of the high street and sort of making a big deal about himself, even about his name and so forth. Fascinating character. Certainly somebody, if you're not aware of, you should really check out Nadir. As I say, I've mentioned him previously on the podcast. And then Nadir looking at Nadir's work, it kind of made me think, Well, let's go to the let's go to the classics. So I started to look at the work of Steichen and Stieglitz, and through looking at Steichen and Stieglitz, it kind of led me to George heineken Hume, which led me to Irving Penn, which in turn sort of led me to David Bailey, which took me to Paolo Reversi, to Bruce Weber, to Albert Watson, to Herb Ritz. Pretty much a century there of work created within a confined environment. And the themes which came through, and really strongly as well, uh, were to me very interesting because the essence of all of those great photographers' work seemed to me to be very simple and exactly the same. It was all about the nuance of gesture, And invariably, that was a hand gesture or an arm movement. It was to do with that relationship between the camera and gesture, almost like a relationship between the camera and dance. The work in itself was very simple, and therefore the gesture became the form by which the composition of the photograph was created alongside this kind of uh, theme, was a very strong understanding, not surprisingly, but of light. How the highlights and the shadow areas were defined, whether or not they were very graphically defined, or perhaps with slightly more subtlety. But the two things, that, that nuance of movement and that nuance of light, all black and white, obviously, which allowed that kind of simplicity to shine through. So I found it fascinating, really interesting, to literally just go through picture after picture after picture, and to build uh, a visual narrative from all of these photographers' work, picking up on these very obvious influences from one photographer to the next. It then made me think something else. Previously on the podcast, I've spoken about a a certain kind of an aesthetic, which is very strongly, I suppose, drawn from the Dusseldorf School of Observation, particularly when this comes to portrait photography. And I spoke last week about having seen a lot of degree shows, and I think I've probably seen about eight or nine degree shows this year photography degree shows at universities in the UK. Um, And that work, um, that approach, that aesthetic has been the dominant. I mean, almost without exception. It's interesting because I'm not seeing the influence of the photographers I've just spoken about. And I'm not seeing that kind of, I suppose, definition of photography, that, that kind of refinement of photography down to the very small detail, down to the gesture, the gesture or perhaps an eye movement. Those very simple, classic um, forms seem to have been dismissed. And in a way, I suppose I can understand that because everybody wants to do something different. Everybody wants to be contemporary. problem is, when everybody is doing the same thing, it no longer becomes different. And it's very... Difficult to, I think, defend it as being contemporary because it's just become middle of the road. Maybe it's time to take a moment and to re look at the history of our medium and rediscover some of those photographers who perhaps today are not quite as fashionable as they once were or perceived as being as important as they once were. Because I have to say, I think they are talking of looking at photography i came across an article in the new yorker magazine uh last week well the new yorker online actually um, and it was a, a really great interview with the photographer bruce davidson but the one thing that really interested me and, and perhaps this kind of reveals the i suppose that my geeky nerdish kind of relationship with photography in some way. The thing that I found most interesting were the photographs of the apartment that Davidson has lived in for many, many years. I think it's on the Upper West Side, and how that apartment was a reflection of him as a photographer. Um, As I say, check it out. It's online, The New Yorker online, bruce davidson but it was pictures where he had um part of his dark room uh i can't remember which piece of equipment it was but there's a huge piece of equipment in the bath and that had taken that over and gradually as his archive had grown uh it had filled all the different rooms of this apartment it also reminded me of the film about the great photographer bill cunningham if you've ever seen that uh bill cunningham's new york is what i think it's called Uh, but again worth checking out And, you know, Bill ended up in a situation where this tiny apartment he had uh, above Carnegie Hall in New York was so filled with filing cabinets of his work and his archive that his bed was literally a mattress on top of the filing cabinets. I'm sure we've all seen as well uh, photographs of Ouija's apartment, also in New York, absolutely filled with prints all over the floor that kind of environment that's when you're so passionate about photography and you're so engaged with photography to me is always really interesting to see. I love seeing the photography. I love reading the photographer talking about their work but even more than that I love to see that backstory. There's no doubt that an awful lot of Uh, I suppose you would call the word uh, projects, I suppose, or kind of initiatives, have um, developed since uh, the democratization of of forms of communication. This podcast in itself, perhaps one time, would have been a magazine. And in fact, of course, I did launch magazines and edit magazines. So uh, this really, I suppose, is my version of a magazine. But somebody who um, I've been aware of for many, many years through one of his particular initiatives that he was part of is Paul Trevor. Paul Trevor is known for his photography in the UK's inner city neighbourhoods, particularly for images made in London and Liverpool since the 1970s. Since picking up a camera at the age of 25, Paul's photographs have been widely published in books, magazines, films and on television. A storyteller at heart, photography offered tools which he embraced with enthusiasm. Abandoning abandoning his job as an accountant, I'm pleased he did that, Uh, I'm sure he is as well, he applied to picture making, the rapid eye coordination he acquired as a teenage table tennis uh, ace and champion. Eager to collaborate with others. In 1973, he co-founded the Exit Photography Group, whose joint projects over a decade produced two documentary books and various exhibitions. In 1975, he helped set up the Half Moon Photography Workshop, an art centre in London's East End where photography could be produced, exhibited, published and debated. Boy, do we need one of those now. And co-edited its influential Camera Work magazine between 1976 and 1980. Between 1973 and 2000, Paul worked on the East Ender archive, an extensive, uh, excuse me, an extensive project which offered a personal record for the changing community near his home in Brick Lane, East London. Again, a community in an area that really has changed. Several of these photographs were included in the London Street Photography exhibition at the Museum of London in 2011 and his work is motivated by keen social impulse and has been exhibited internationally as well as within the UK including shows at the Photographers' Gallery London and the Walker Art Gallery in Liverpool. His work is in public and private collections around the world including the Arts Council Collection British Council and Victoria and Albert Museum. I think after all that, we need to hear Paul Trevor explain what photography means to him.
1: What does photography mean to me? What it means, as in any relationship, is not a fixed thing. What I say today might be very different another day. I'm sure over the years I'd have responded differently depending on how things were going. But I think the thing that has coloured my relationship with photography most is the fact that for the first 10 years of my working life I had nothing to do with it. I left school and worked in an accountancy office. I didn't aspire to be a photographer, I didn't know anyone in photography and obviously had no inkling I'd get involved in it. Yet with a full-time job as an accountant, one day out of the blue I had a bizarre idea I'd like to make films. I reacted to this surprising thought by contacting an amateur film group that met at weekends. On the phone I was told they were looking for someone to operate their camera, a Bolex Super 8. I lied that I was familiar with it and on that basis was invited to join. Next day I went to the library and found a boring book about the Bolex. What a load of Bolex, I thought. By the weekend, I was an expert. Well, at least I knew what it looked like. Unfortunately, after a few weekends, it became clear that the group's approach to filmmaking was bogged down in embarrassing cliches. I needed to look elsewhere. The office I worked in was near the uh, Regent Street Polytechnic, as it was known then. And I found out that they offered a course that included a bit of filmmaking. I went for an interview and was advised to get a still camera, produce some pictures and come back the following year with evidence of some ability. Oh, and you'll have to get some A-levels. With hindsight, I can see how this led to a totally unforeseen sequence of events that meant I never did the course because by the time I got the A-levels, I was now part of a photography group of beginners invited to undertake a large scale documentary project. The whole thing seemed a bit unreal, actually. I was a newbie, about to be paid for the first time, and it was a rare and improbable opportunity. I stopped working as an an accountant and found myself in a very different movie, reading from an unlikely script as a full-time photographer. It was exciting and challenging, and who knew how long it would last? It turned out to be a pivotal moment of change for me. So what did this change involve? It meant being self-employed, having to be self-motivated. It meant a big change in working conditions. It meant less financial security. It meant a camera bag instead of a briefcase. It meant getting to know other photographers, sharing information, learning from each other. It meant collaborating with others on joint projects. It meant more risk, more challenges, more fun. It meant using my eyes. It meant realizing that my restless curiosity had found in the camera a willing partner in crime. It meant seeing more of the world. It meant learning the importance of patience. It meant valuing accidents and mistakes. It meant appreciating chance. It meant discovering that photography has much more in common with sculpture than with painting. It meant thinking of myself as a producer rather than a consumer. It meant becoming more socially and politically aware. It meant making some sacrifices. It meant dedication. It meant growing as a person. It meant finding my own voice. It probably still means all those things. If I had to sum it all up, I'd say the first ten years of my working life was about earning a living working to live after that it's been the other way around living to work
0: wow if ever there was a manifesto for photography and photographers i think we've just heard it thank you very much there paul for an incredible um contribution this week i thought it was going to be good it was even better than i could have hoped for so thank you very much indeed um, so much in there, just too much uh, for me to even stop and try and pick a few pieces out. But maybe one of the key factors um, that struck a note with me was that situation where uh, luck does play a part. But also, we were talking last week about the importance of breaking rules. That idea of taking risks are such a key part in, uh, I suppose, giving ourselves a life which may not be the easiest, but can certainly be fulfilling and challenging. And, you know, I quite often talk about, um, when I'm working with people, that we should head for the choppy waters because that's where the fun is. And certainly, leaving a life as an accountant and then starting to work as a photographer, as Paul did, is heading for those choppy waters but look how rewarding that can be i do also recognize that it can be incredibly tough and there's been a lot of talk in the last week or so about uh, mental well-being particularly about men at this point for some reason it seems to be a a bit of a zeitgeist thing Um, so we must all be aware of that and not apply too much pressure uh, upon ourselves and and also i think our expectation Um, but there we go maybe that's a little bit serious to end this week's podcast but um, those points uh, and I'm certainly going to replay Paul's uh, contribution uh, back again and again and just kind of try to pick out more and more things from that that I think I'm going to find really useful and certainly uh, sort of I suppose fit with my uh, kind of beliefs which are also important when you're in a position, as I am, uh, to mentor photographers and also uh, to teach young photographers within an academic institution. I think Paul's uh, contribution this week is a manifesto for every young photographer. But as I say, every week, however much the choppy waters get choppy, one of the most important things is always to take care.